excuse me, of the year in January and uh, looked at an introduction to going through this all through 66 books of the Bible. And so last week we made our way through the, the fifth book, Deuteronomy. So we've gotten the uh, books of the law behind us and now we're looking at the book of Joshua tonight. So if you'd like to turn there with me, there'll be a few places that we'll look at. Uh, the, the slides, I'll have some references and um, if you'd like to, to make notes or whatever. But as we go through tonight, this is... Um, you know, we're, we're doing a bird's eye view of each book of the Bible. So the first night, um, the first of the year was just an overview. And then we've, this is uh, week, week seven here with our, our or um, yeah, week seven with our sixth book of the Bible. So we're going into Joshua tonight as we study this. And I have, I'm um, going to read to you a couple of things tonight um, out of a uh, Old Testament survey when we get to a certain place in here tonight. But as we make our way through in Joshua um, if you're uh, in chapter one, it begins with the death of Moses. And so last week, um, after I finished, I think it was on the way home, Sharon asked me if I would uh, just backtrack a little bit and, and bring in the, um, well, it would help if I get this thing to work right, and bring in uh, from last week where uh, the death of Moses, get this thing to work right, the death of Moses and talk about that a little bit, uh, a little bit more. We'll do that in just a moment. So there are 24 chapters in the book of Joshua, and uh, the theme of Joshua is possession. And as we looked at in the, the four previous books, of course, Genesis was the beginning. It's considered the book of the law because it's the first five books. Uh, it, it goes along with Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But um, Deuteronomy was the last of the books of the law. And so during the time of Moses' life and ministry, remember he led them through uh, into the wilderness, through the wilderness, after they'd come through the Red Sea, after God had left, delivered them from Egypt, and they went through the parted Red Sea to go into um, the wilderness and wander there. And remember Moses, because of uh, an act of disobedience, he was not going to get to go into the promised land. But also we see, as we look at this, we see something else about Moses' life, um, the fact that he, in, in his ministry and his calling, he was one that came to represent the law. And the law could never get them into the promised land. It could deliver them because the, the blood of the lambs mentioned in, uh, in the law. And it could get them out of um, Egypt, but it couldn't bring them into the promised land. So Joshua, whose name is Jehovah is Salvation, he is basically, it is the Old Testament name that's equivalent to the name Jesus. Both of them mean the same thing. Joshua and Jesus both mean Jehovah is salvation. And so, as I say oftentimes, don't let the Jehovah's Witnesses fool you folks. The, the Jesus of the New Testament is the Jehovah God of the Old Testament. He's, we call him the second person of the Trinity. He is the second person of the Godhead. So there are 24 chapters, and the theme of the book of Joshua is possession. Now they're going to go in and take the promised land as God had promised to them, even though there were some delays. The disobedience of Moses sending in those 12 uh, spies where two of them said, we can take it, we can, one of which was Joshua, we can take the land, but, but the other 10 said, no, we can't. And so um, now they're going to go into the promised land, and most all of that generation that made it through the wilderness is dying off, with a few exceptions, such as Joshua and Caleb. So as we go into it, we see this is a quick breakdown, just a quick three-point, um, three if you want to call that, breakdown of the book. And then we're going to go back and look at the chapters. In chapters 1 to 12, they enter into the land, <clears throat> as God told them they would do. We'll pick back up on that in a moment. 
And then in chapters 13 to 22, they divide the land among the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, 11 really, because as you know, um, the tribe of Levi didn't get an allotment um, because they were, the Lord was going to take care of them. So it has the, um, the land divided. And then you see the last message of Joshua in chapter 23 and 24. And he has some very important words to say to them as they're in the promised land. And so they'll go in and they'll face some battles. And unfortunately, though they'll have some victories, some of them will only be partial victories. Because some, some places in the promised land, some of the tribes didn't completely defeat some of the enemies as they were told to do. So in chapter 1 of verse 1, it begins with the death of Moses. And it says, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying. So Joshua is, is Moses' minister. He's, he's a servant to him. He's a minister. Uh, and it says that uh, he died. And so Moses is left word for, uh, or God through, has, has left word for Joshua or told Joshua what to do now that Moses has died. And Moses had already given him some commands in, in um, the end of Deuteronomy before he died. But Moses dies, and the Bible um, has something very interesting to say about that. Hold your place in Joshua and go with me over, way over to the New Testament to the next to the last book in the Bible, the book of Jude. Jude only has one chapter, but it has something interesting to say about Moses. We know that Moses was not able to enter into the promised land because of his disobedience. But something very interesting happens about Moses after his death. It says in uh, the book of Jude, in verse number 9, it records something that's not recorded in the Old Testament. And it says this, Yet Michael the archangel, you remember in the book of Daniel, you see uh, uh, an archangel mentioned named uh, Gabriel and one named Michael. And then, or, or rather, Gabriel is the one that shows up whenever uh, Jesus, um, when the announcement is made to Mary. But Michael also, he's called an, an archangel here. And it says, when contending with the devil. Isn't that something? Michael, an archangel, gets into a dispute, gets into a battle, so to speak, into a dispute over something. And look what it says it is here in this verse. Disputed about the body of Moses. Moses had died and there was a dispute about it. The scripture tells us that when Moses was buried, we saw last week in Deuteronomy, he was buried into in a place where only the Lord knew where he was. But for some reason, the devil wanted Moses' body after he was dead. And so God sends his archangel Michael, says, Michael, I want you to protect the body of Moses. Look what it says. Durst not bring against him railing accusations, said, but the Lord rebuked thee. And so at some point, uh, apparently, according to what we know, uh, go to Matthew 17, according to what we know in the New Testament, Moses' body, wherever it was buried, God told Michael, I just want you to bring it up here to heaven. Just bring it up here to me, with me. I want you to bring it up into heaven. Look with me in Matthew 17. So when Jesus, we actually looked at this verse last week, but I didn't mention about the body of Moses. We kind of didn't have time. Matthew 17, verse 1 to 5, it tells about when Jesus, just a little while before he's crucified, he takes uh, the three of the 12 disciples, the three that he's closest to, Peter, James, and John, verse number 1, it says, and brings them up into a mountain apart. He was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as, as light. And behold, there appeared unto Moses... And Elias, that would be the Greek into English for the Old Testament, Elijah, same person. 
they're talking with him. And then Peter and James and John see the three there, with, or the other two there with Jesus, the three of them there, transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now think about this. Elias, or Elijah, had been taken up to heaven without seeing death. Remember, he was caught up in the chariot with the chariot, and caught up in the clouds, the chariot, the clouds of fire. He was caught up and taken. And the book of First, or excuse me, Second Kings records that he was taken up without seeing death. Moses, however, had died, and at some point, God God took his body into heaven with him, and so there he was in heaven in God's presence, and now. He appears on this mountain with Elijah and Jesus, and Jesus is transfigured. So now Moses is standing on the Mount of Transfiguration. And even though he did not get to go into in his, during his life on earth, he didn't go into the promised land, now he's there with Jesus. Isn't that an amazing thing? There he is on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, for whatever reason and uh, that, that, the, um, that the devil wanted his, his body, God tells Michael, Michael, you go down and get him. And there was a, there was a, a, a disagree, more than a disagreement. There was a fight over it, basically. And then he brings him to heaven. So that's when Moses died. And then the Bible uh, tells us that Joshua begins to lead. And God gives him a promise in there. Joshua, take my word and believe it. And hear my word and meditate on it day and night, and you will be prosperous. You will have success. He promises that in chapter 1, verse 8 and verse 9. Um, Before that, um, Moses had given the law, most of it verbally, audibly. But it's, it's written down, and now he has the book of the law to live by. He has the promises of God. He has all the directions and, and the, the uh, commands that God had given to the children of Israel for the tabernacle, for everything else they needed to know. And he said, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. So when you read over chapter 1 there, you see where um, he begins to lead them. Now he's taking the place of Moses. Moses had led them by the law. And now Joshua's leading them with, with the experience he got from Moses and, of course, with, with God's direction and guidance to take them into uh, the promised land. He begins to lead them. Chapter number 2, we see uh, where there are two spies that go into the land uh, of the ones that were sent in. When you see in chapter 2, look with me at verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. So this is where the spies go in, and they go check out the land. As you read this, and I thought about this. It never really hit me until I studied this, prepare for this, for this, this week. But as you remember, when they went to the promised land the first time, there were how many spies? Twelve. Two of them believed God. One of them was Joshua. The other was Caleb. So now when Joshua sends when spies in, he only sends two. He says, forget the 12, let's just go in with two. That number didn't work out too good last time. Ten of them came back unbelieving. And so now he sends those two in, and they're protected by Rahab. Look with me, if you will, down to verse, um, uh, let's see. Look at at verse number 8. And before they were laid down, she came up uh, unto them upon the roof. She said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land is faint because of you. So when you, um, when you look in the scripture and you wonder sometimes, uh, even in our day, how much do the heathen know about what God has done? Well, these folks, even though they were heathen in the, uh, in the land of Canaan, they were going to be driven out, they knew enough about the Lord to knew what he had done. 
They knew by word of mouth that God had delivered his people out of Egypt and he brought them through the Red Sea and they were fearful. Uh, it says there in, in, um, in verse 9 that they were fearful. The land is faint because everybody's scared. Everybody's afraid of you. And then she goes into the next verse about how God dried up the waters of the Red Sea and led them through and how they had destroyed um, and, and uh, been victorious over some of their enemies. And then she gives a promise that um, when they come back, there would be a, a scarlet rope let down. And there is a beautiful picture of the, uh, the precious blood of our Savior when the, the, scarlet, the scarlet robe that's uh, placed or, or, or uh, uh, put down for them later on for them to be able to, to escape and they, they get out. So in chapter 2, Rahab uh, protects those two spies from those that would try to uh, do them harm uh, of, the, of the people in the land there. And the promise of the scarlet thread is in verse number 2018. So going to chapter 3, and you see where they prepare to cross the Jordan River. And they go across it in the, the next couple of chapters. We read about that. But they go across uh, the Jordan River where after they go over, it talks about the fact they made it over and, and how God uh, told the, tw the 12 tribes, I want you to have remembrance about this. But when you read down through verse, uh, starting at verse 1, reading down through there, pick up at verse 3. And they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests and Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. So at this time, there were probably uh, roughly anywhere from a half to half a million to a million people. I mean, that's a lot of folks. And so what God did was he had them cross over the Jordan River. He says, the Ark of the Covenant, my presence is going to lead the way. The Levites, the tribe of Levi. The Levites and then the priests in the tribe of Levi. Remember we talked about before how uh, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. But uh, that particular tribe of Levi was special uh, because, of the, um, because of the way they ministered the tabernacle and later the temple. And so <clears throat> they go first and they lead the people over and the Jordan's waters departs. In fact, it mentions in here that it was a place where, where it was at its fullest, where it had swollen very wide at that particular time, but that didn't mean anything to God. God made sure they were able to cross over. So uh, look at verse 14. It came to pass and the people removed their tents to pass over Jordan and the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they that bear the Ark were coming to Jordan and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up as a heap very far from the city of Adam that is beside Zaratan. So the waters part just like they did for the Red Sea. But for the Red Sea, um, Moses, of course, took that staff and held it out and said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And the, the, sea, the Red Sea departed. Here, it's the uh, Jordan River. And so uh, I want to read you real quick. Um, there's a pastor uh, from Florida named James Knox. He has a, a church in uh, Deland, Florida, and he has an Old and New Testament survey. I own both of those, and he has some really great notes. And real quickly, I'm going to read to you how the uh, Red Sea and the Jordan River crossing, how they were similar but different. Uh, when they crossed the Red Sea, it was an exodus from, from the bondage they were in for, to, to the Egyptians. But when they crossed the Jordan, they were entering into the land of promise. When they uh, crossed the Red Sea and, and came out of Egypt, they escaped a foe that pursued them. But when they crossed the Jordan, they were going into an area where the foe was away, or the, the enemies were waiting for them to attack. 
when they crossed the Red Sea, the Bible says God sent the east wind to hold back the sea, and there was nothing visible that held back the Jordan when it, when it was uh, parted. Um, the um, Red Sea crossing was done at night, according to Exodus 14, but it's done, this was done in broad daylight when they crossed the Jordan. Uh, multitudes of the enemies were slain when they crossed the Red Sea, whenever the waters came back, but none were killed uh, this time. None of the enemy were, was killed. Um, the waters were divided at the uh, division of the, the Red Sea, and here they were made to stand as a heap, according to what we saw in chapter 3. Um, one more thing, the enemy was very angry when they escaped, especially Pharaoh, but now when they cross over the, uh, the Jordan, the enemy is going to be afraid rather than angry because they feared what was coming because they knew that God's people was com- they were coming in to take the land that he had promised them. So they prepare and they cross Jordan River as God had told them to do. This was a big step to, that they needed to make to get into the, uh, the promised land. And so God gives them 12 or tells them to take of each tribe a memorial stone. They took one for each tribe in chapter 4 to remind them at any time when they're anywhere near the Jordan River, God was faithful. And they would look and see those stones and they would see the faithfulness and realize the faithfulness of God. God brought them across the Jordan River. He had already brought them out of Egypt. He had brought them through the, the wilderness, the desert. Now he's taking them into the promised land. Chapter 5, Joshua um, observes the, uh, has the, the priest observe the Passover, which was a very uh, wise thing to do. Uh, Moses did that, of course, and it was instituted under the life and leadership of Moses. But they observed the Passover in chapter 5. And then in chapter 5, verse 13 to 15, uh, Jesus appears to him as the captain of the, host of the Lord's host. Verse 13 Uh, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? But he said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. And he said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servants? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy uh, thy shoe from off thy foot. For the place wherein thou standest is holy, and Joshua did so. Notice in verse 15, right off one thing we see, is very similar to when Moses was, uh, was there in chapter 3 of Exodus, and God appeared to him in that burning bush. What did he tell him to do? Take your shoes off, take your sandals off, Moses, you're on holy ground. And that's what Joshua was told. But here's something interesting. This is why we know that this is an Old Testament, what we call pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Uh, before he was virgin born in, in, the, you know, in the New Testament, uh, there were times he appeared to, to different ones. And here he appears to Joshua. Look again at verse 14 carefully. And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? He worshiped. Had that been an angel, he would not have received that worship from him. So that was the Lord Jesus himself in a pre-incarnate appearance to Joshua. and says, Joshua, I'm with you. I'm going into battle with you. And as the captain of the host of the Lord, and he's the captain that we need to go into battle when we face battle in our lives, uh, spiritual battles we go through. Then chapter 6, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Um, they're about to go in to uh, take over Jericho, which is one of the first cities they were to take. 
and they go into the to um, to take the city. And remember, they surround the walls and they they march around seven times on the, seven, on the seventh day. They march around seven times there, and they march around until the and then the walls came tumbling down, as the old song goes. And they were able to go into um, to take the city as God told them they would do there in chapter six. But uh oh, something happens wrong at, at uh, a place called. Uh oh, for uh, Ai, for a man named Achan. There was a man named Achan. He's described in chapter seven, verse one. Right after the Lord brought brought that great victory, and uh, they had great victory celebrating that, and uh, they had the walls had fall, fallen down. They fell down just as God told them they would do. Then you get to chapter seven, verse one. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. God had already told them, when you go in and you take Jericho, don't take any possessions uh, with you. Don't do that. But one man named Achan, for some reason, he saw something and he thought, you know, uh, I think I'm going to take this. It, it looks good, and I think I'm going to take this back with me. And he disregarded the commandments that had been given. Look at verse... Um, uh, let's see, pick up at verse, um, well, let's start at verse 2 and read down to 5. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. They returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few." So they went up thither of the people, about 3,000 men. They fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote them, about 30 and 6 men. They chased them from before the gate, even into Shebarim, and they smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So Joshua rends, he tears his clothes. This is an act of humility. This is an act of crying out to God. And um, he said in verse 7, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou brought this people over Jordan to deliver us in the hand of the Amorites? Or to destroy us. So, but what happened was um, there was there was sin that had happened in their camp. Look down at verse uh, ten. And the Lord said to Joshua, "Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou upon, thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen the dissembled also, and they put it even among their own stuff. So time goes by, and they come to find out." As they come tribe by tribe or search, seek tribe by tribe, who did this? What, who, who committed the sin? Then they find out that it's from Judah in verse 17. Then they find the family that's in Judah and they narrow it down to a man named Achan. Um, we're going to come back to these verses, but look at verse number 19. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. So he acknowledges the fact here that he had sinned, and he tells what he did. We're going to come back to this at the end of the study when we look at the practical stuff. When I saw among the spoils a godly Babylonish garment, that was a, a, a garment that belonged to the Babylonians, apparently it was found in that, that town there. And when they went into, uh, into to, uh, Ai, uh, they found it there. He found it there, and it was something that was probably taken into, in from another battle. Uh, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold, 50 shekels weight. Then I coveted them. 
and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So he confessed to what he had done, and uh, God took that very seriously as he did before. He told them not to take anything, and so they, um, they took him, and he was, as you see the end of the chapter, sadly, he was stoned for his sin. And so there we see uh, Achan, who had disobeyed God, and caused problem in the whole, the whole camp among all of them. So then in chapter 8, Ai is then conquered, and there's an altar that's built, which is a very wise thing to do. Moses had built an altar a time of two, and he learned that from uh, the others before him, and Joshua knew the importance of that. So he built an altar, it says there in verse 30 of chapter 8, and then um, he again reminds the children of Israel about the book of the law of Moses and the importance of the altar uh, being put up and offerings, burnt offerings and peace offerings made. Chapter 9, Joshua, well-meaning, was deceived, though, by a group called the Gibeonites. They deceived him, and uh, he goes into battle, and uh, their deception had almost uh, cost Joshua and, and Israel, uh, it caused them a lot of problem. And so the Bible says that he went to the camp in Gilgal and, and uh, verse 6 of chapter 9. And to the men of Israel, we become from a far country. Now, therefore, make a league with us. They disguise themselves as being someone else. But these Gibeonites were some of the enemies in the land that were to be destroyed. Now, understand, remember, God didn't want them to be destroyed just to be a mean God. God's not mean and cruel. The reason he wanted them out is because had the enemy left... They could have left with their lives, but they weren't going to do that. That's where all their livelihood was. But God had promised Israel, Canaan is yours. I want you to go into Canaan and take it. And in doing so, you're going to have some battles, and you're going to fight with the enemy. And that's what they did. And the, the um, Gibeonites deceived him. And then in chapter 10, they go into battle, and the enemy is defeated. And then chapter 10, part of that battle, a very interesting thing. Go with me to verse 12. The day the sun stood still, and there's a lot of research that has been done. And in fact, the um, the uh, I won't take time to read it right now, but um, this um, Old Testament survey, and I've seen it in several other places, where um, scientists have have discovered what they call a missing day, and uh, the sun stood still for for a time. Chapter ten, start at verse twelve. Uh, then spake Joshua the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? Jasher is a book that apparently was a historical book uh, that was written at the time, but it was not a book that made it into scripture. It was not part of what we call the canon. Uh, it probably has a lot of history in it. And probably a lot of accurate history, but for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit through the New Testament church did not see, well, actually through, in the Old Testament, but also through the New Testament church did not see fit for that to be a part of, the, uh, of the, what we call the canon of Scripture. But it is a historical book, apparently, that was written about that time, and it records it. Verse 14, there was no day like before or after it, the Lord hearkened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. There are several books that are called you know, lost books. There's the book of Enoch may have read or heard about that. Some of those are historical books. And if someone wants to read that as far as history goes, um, you know, I don't see any problem with reading it. Just understand it's not included in Scripture. So there are going to probably be some things in those books that weren't in Scripture that may contradict Scripture. Uh, 
So that doesn't mean Scripture's wrong. It means those books that make, didn't make it into, into Scripture, those are the ones that have errors in it. But there's a lot of history in some of those books, and a lot of people find them very interesting, and they may be. I have not read them. I've read, I've read reviews and things like that, but I've not read them. But nevertheless, that's, when he mentions that book of Jasher there, that was a historical book. And so the uh, sun stood still for that time, and God gave them great victory in that battle and the, they go back to, to fighting, and they, they win a great victory. Chapter 11, Joshua conquers some more in, enemy territory. It talks about the um, verse 1 of chapter 11. It came to pass when Jabin, king of Hetzor, had heard these things. He sent Jobab, the king of Madon, and the king of Shimron, onto the king of Akshaph. So a lot of enemies that they faced, and they were, uh, they were basically uh, making league together to go uh, into battle against Israel. And then some of the more, the, the ones you've seen more since, the, um, since Moses' time, verse 3, the Canaanites, uh, Amorites, Hittites, uh, Perizzites, those are mentioned um, during the uh, life and ministry of Moses. So they go in uh, to battle further, and there's um, conquer some more enemy territory. Then you get to chapter 12 and 13, there are more to conquer, and then it lists the names of some of the, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the kings, and then the different uh, tribes that um, uh, were able to possess. And for, for example, look at chapter 13, verse 29. And Moses gave inheritance to the half the tribe of Manasseh, and this was the possession of the half tribe of the children of Manasseh by their families. And their coast was from, and it lists the names. We'll actually look at a map in just a moment and see some of these. But look down at verse 33. This is what I was talking about earlier. But into the tribe of Levi, Moses gave not any inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said unto them. Remember, that was the tribe that, you know, from whom the priests uh, descended from Levi. So God took care of them in places for them to live. And then also, remember, much of their food came from the tabernacle, from offerings that were made. Now we get into chapter 14. This is, uh, this is probably my favorite chapter in the whole book of Joshua. This is a, a chapter where God fulfills a promise. And in verses 1 to 5, God, uh, or Moses has, or excuse me, Joshua has them divide the land as they've been doing. And it lists the, the, the coast, the different borders and coasts. But then when you pick up about verse 16, um, excuse me, about verse 6 right there, down to verse 15, you start to read a, uh, a wonderful, um, I, I love how, how this, this storyline, how this goes. Look at verse 6. And the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Remember, they were, he, was, he and Joshua were two of the 12 spies that were sent to go in to look at the promised land. Ten of them came back and said, there are giants there. We can't take the, the land. There's no way we can take it. But Joshua and Caleb believed God. We can do this. We can take the land. And yet the vote was of the majority. They went with ten instead of two. And the Bible says in that next chapter in the book of Numbers, they spent the whole night mourning and weeping before God because they realized we lost our chance. We messed up. We should have believed those two spies that said, we can do this. One of them was Caleb. God promised something special to Joshua. And he promised something special to Caleb. Joshua, when Moses dies, you're going to be my man for Israel. You're going to leave them until you die, and you'll go into the promised land. Caleb, because you believe me, 
I have a very beautiful, special place. I have a mountain for you. There's an old song uh, many years ago that was written. I want that mountain. How many of you know that song? I want that mountain. So he, uh, it's, it's the one that talks about where the grapes of Esco grow. Remember when we talked about the promised land? They said that they stretched out that big bunch of grapes where it took two men to carry all those grapes. And so he wanted his mountain. God promised it. And he wanted it. And when God promises something, we can stand on his promises. Verse 7, look at this. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land and brought him word again as it was in my heart. Verse 8, nevertheless, my brethren went up with me, made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly, notice that's W-H-O-L-L-Y. That means his whole heart was in this. He believed God. He trusted God. I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word to Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And I am this day fourscore and five years old, eighty-five years old. He was eighty-five. He waited forty-five years for a promise. Isn't that something? But God made it. God made it right. Verse 11. And yet I'm as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. I don't know if I can say that as strong as I was 40-something years ago. I don't know if I can say that. Like the guy said, I can do the same things I did 40 years ago. Just takes me longer. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. It's supposed to be funny. If the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest how the day the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced, if so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out. As the Lord said. Look how many times he says that. As the Lord said. He trusted God. He believed God's promise. I love that passage. Verse 13, And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunai, Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of the son of Jephunai, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Folks, when we obey God, it's not a matter of saying, Lord, I'm going to twist your arm. I want to make you do something for me. When we obey God, we can be in right standing before God and say, Lord, I'm just trusting your promises. I'm going to stand with them. And that's exactly what Caleb did. And God gave him that mountain that he promised him 45 years earlier. When he went in as a spy, he just believed God. He brought the report back exactly as he knew uh, uh, that he knew that God could do it. He knew that he would get them into the promised land, even though they doubt it. So I'll show you a map in a second. So on the west side, um, as we look at this, there is um, uh, that's divided up by with the tribes. The west side of Jordan is, and I'll show you a map, is Asher, Naphtali, Zebulun, Issachar, West Manasseh. Manasseh divides into two. Uh, it divides into two tribes, Ephraim, Dan, Benjamin, Judah, and Simeon. You remember Manasseh was one of the sons of Joseph. And so at this point, Joseph's name is not mentioned in these tribes. But it is mentioned again later in the book of Revelation. That's an interesting thing to study. We'll look at that sometime maybe. Dan, Benjamin, Judah, Simeon. And then east of Jordan is the east part of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. They're all on the east side of Jordan. So they conquer the territory. There are more lands to conquer. And then the lands go in by tribe uh, in chapters 13 to 19. It goes, um, it lists them by tribe where they go. Now, again, when you go and read those, we won't go into all that tonight, but when you go and read through each of those, you'll see something different in each tribe. Most of they're victorious for the most part, but some of them give in to the enemy. 
and they'll pay the enemy off. Some of them, they'll go in and take the land, but then they'll begin to worship some of the idols of the enemy. So they go in as God promised them, and yet even though God gave them the land, it's still, they still had disobeyed at times. Chapter 20 comes to cities of refuge. If you remember when we studied... Um, <clears throat> Uh, when we studied uh, numbers, it talked about those cities of refuge that, jo- that God told Moses, if anyone accidentally, they don't do it on purpose, they accidentally do something and it, causes, it, it takes somebody's life. They don't do it on purpose, it's an accident. There's a city of refuge where they can go. And they'll live there until the priest, remember the priest had a lot of responsibility. When that priest dies and another priest takes over, they can leave that city and go back to the land where they live with their family. But until then, they'd have to stay in these cities of refuge. There were three on the west side. There were three on the east side of the Jordan River. And my slide, my words on my slide slid down. Um, My slide slid. So anyway, there were uh, three on the west side, three on the east side. You probably can't see that from back there as far as the the, uh, general areas of them, but you see the dots where they're located on either side of the Jordan River. But they're spread throughout the land where it's, if they, uh, wherever they live, it's easy to get to one of those if, if that happens. So that's what the, um, the, the, those uh, six cities are for. Then in chapter 21 to 22, there's more land divided up by their tribes and lists each of them. Then you get to 23 and 24, and you see Joshua's farewell. You see his last address. He led them for many years. And then uh, we, we see in the last two chapters where he gives them his goodbye. Chapter 23, verse 1 to 5, he talks again how God has been faithful. Remember, Moses did that a bunch of times during his, during his ministry. He would remind them of the faithfulness of God. God brought you through the Red Sea, or he delivered you through Egypt, from Egypt, brought you through the Red Sea. And he would say that over and over to remind them because we're all human. We need to be reminded and so he talked about, to them about how God had been faithful. And then the rest of that chapter, he says, now you be faithful to him. Be faithful to God. He's been faithful to you. He's taken care of you. Obey what he tells you. Obey his word. And he will keep his promises. Then you get to chapter 24. Again, he gives them another history lesson. And then we see something in verse 2 about Abraham's background that we don't know in detail Uh, During the life of Abraham, we find it out in chapter 24 here in verse 2. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, speaking of the ancestors, their forefathers, dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the the father of Abraham, the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. In other words, Abraham didn't grow up a Sunday school kid. (laughs) He grew up in a pagan land, in a pagan uh, family, and God called him out of that to serve him. Called him out from, those, from the pagan worship where they worship uh, false gods. And so that was, you know, from a human perspective, that was, which was such a huge step for Abraham to make. He left all of that that was his father's. All those idols that they worship. And he said, Lord, I'm going to believe you. God says, if you believe me, I'm going to give you my very righteousness. Beautiful picture in the book of, or in the New Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the Bible says in Romans that God imputes, He gives to the believing sinner the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Chapter 24, verse 14 to 28, He gives them a time for choosing. He gives them that famous uh, closing um, part of His speech where He says, um, Chapter 24, pick up at verse 14 and 15. 
Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. Uh, no doubt when they were in Egypt, some of them had learned about some of the, the, the false gods, the idols. Remember right after they came out of there, remember what was the first thing when Moses went up on the mountain with God, he comes down and there's Aaron and all of them out there worshiping this golden calf. So he says, you put all those away, verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So he tells them you have a choice to make. Joshua dies in verse 28. And then we see his legacy. And then a promise is fulfilled. I preached on this back in uh, January. A promise is fulfilled. When Joseph died in Genesis 50, he told um, his brothers, when you get into the promise, your descendants get into the promised land, don't leave my bones in Egypt. And remember, they were there for a, for a number of decades, a century, before they got out of Egypt, remember. He says, whatever you do, don't leave my bones here in Egypt. Moses took them all through the journey, had all through those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And now, finally, they're put at rest at the end of the book of Joshua. So look at a couple of things. Our alternate routes, how they're similar to how it's similar to other books. Exodus tells us how redemption began in the Old Testament as far as uh, their deliverance from the Red Sea, from Egypt. They were delivered. And in Joshua, we see redemption complete. They were delivered from the enemy. Now they're being delivered unto the promised land. Another thing we see, uh, someone has well said that Ephesians is the Joshua of the New Testament. Because Ephesians tells us of our spiritual blessings in Christ. Joshua talks about the physical land. Remember we said Israel and the church, one of the differences, Israel, God gives physical promises to his physical Old Testament people, the Jews. In the church, we have spiritual promises that God gives of spiritual blessings. Spiritual doesn't mean they don't exist. It means it's just a completely different kind and it's in a different realm. So it's the, uh, Ephesians is the Joshua of the New Testament. So looking at our timeline, creation, when we looked at our first study in Genesis, was roughly 39, right at 4,000 B.C., roughly 3975. Deuteronomy, the previous book, ended at 1423. Joshua begins within about a year and goes to 1372 B.C. It was written to Israel. That's our mileage and efficiency. It was written to Israel. They prepared to enter into the promised land. And they put up those stones of remembrance. An interesting thing, you don't have to turn there, if you want to write this reference and look at it at home. In Matthew 3, when John the Baptist is baptizing at the Jordan River, and uh, he's baptizing people, uh, the, the, the Savior, the Messiah, their, their, their Messiah's there, Jesus, he's come. He tells them, uh, the Pharisees are watching him, do, him baptizing, and he's talking to the Pharisees. He said, he said um, uh, basically tells them, um, if we... Uh, if we don't glorify God, basically he says, these very stones can cry out to Abraham. Those stones that he was talking about were very, very, very likely the 12 stones of remembrance that were still there that the children of Israel put there. Isn't that an awesome thought? He said those rocks, those very rocks could, could, could cry out to him. Ownership of the land was unconditional. God promised that. There was no condition on the promise to own it. The condition was going in to possess it. Boy, that's a great truth about the Christian life. 
God says he'll save you forever and for sure. You'll never, ever lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. Once you trust Christ as Savior, you're saved forever. But the Christian life, a lot of it depends on how much are we going to believe God? How much are we going to trust God? Are we going to be like some of the tribes that were fearful and, and, they, and they go into battle and they're fearful? Or are we going to be like Caleb say, I want that mountain. God promised me that mountain. I want to take that mountain. He says it's mine. Chapter 7, Achan's temptation was no new thing. Remember he said he saw that and he coveted it and he took it. We looked at those verses. Same thing happened to Eve. She saw that that, that, that fruit was pleasant to the eyes, uh, to uh, desire to make one wise and it looked like it would be delicious. Very same thing. When Jesus was, tr- was uh, tempted by the tempter, by, our, by the devil, by our enemy, on, uh, when he had been fasting in the wilderness, he tried three different ways to tempt the Lord Jesus. It had to do with what he saw. It had to do with food one time, remember? Turn the stones into bread. The, the, the way a temptation doesn't change, folks, it's the same all the time. Uh, just different things the, the devil uses to tempt us with. 1 John 2 says, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Two note, we're promised our Canaan, but I've already said this really, we must possess the blessings of our Canaan. Of, of, um, of the Christian life. A lot of times in songs, and it's well-meaning when people talk about, you know, you'll see, hear songs about crossing over Jordan and going into Canaan, about Canaan being heaven. And I know it's well-meaning, but Canaan really is not heaven for the Christian. It's a picture of the victorious Christian life. Because when we go into our Canaan, folks, after we're saved, we're going to face battles. Our enemy is very real. Um, it may be spiritual instead of physical, but it is very, very real. We need stones of remembrance. I uh, read somebody uh, had, had a good quote today. I, can't, I meant to write it down. I didn't write it down. They said something about how um, to forget the bad things and the failures of our past, but we should have stones of remembrance to remember God's faithfulness when he brought us through those times. Jesus and Joshua already mentioned he's captain of the host of the Lord. We talked about that. And then he is our refuge. He is our city of refuge for our life. And, um, and salvation in him. Uh, be strong. Verse, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, he told Joshua, be strong in the Lord um, and to, uh, to claim the, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but to, but to meditate in it day and night and to be strong and of, of, and of good courage. And so we can trust him. And then um, also another great verse is, uh, should be a promise for, for every home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so that's the uh, promise that, that, um, that he gave to them. If you will follow, if you will serve him, he will be with you the whole way. And Joshua said, whatever you do, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at weather permitting and all that. We're going to look into one of the weirdest, strangest books in all of Scripture, and that's the book of Judges. That is a strange book. There's several of them in there that are kind of strange. Jonah's kind of strange. You get the whole whale thing. And then you get into, uh, of course, Revelation's got a lot of stuff in it. But Judges is a very strange book. A lot of strange things happen. And when you read in there at the very last chapter, it tells you why. Because the Bible says in that particular time, after Joshua, before the kings, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Wow, does that sound like 2023? Sounds a lot like it, doesn't it? Everyone did that what was right in their own eyes. And so looking forward to that next week. All right, anything before we close in prayer? Comments or questions or anything? A little more on time tonight, so. 
All right, let's stand close in prayer. And uh, when we do, make sure you welcome our guests back there. We're glad to have them visiting with us. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises of your word. Thank you for what we can look back and see. Lord, from our first lesson we talked about in the book of Romans, where it says these things are written for examples to us. Uh, they're examples for us to, to look and see in the Old Testament the things that happened um, to them, the events that happened, the people, all that's found there we can learn and we can make practical in our lives. And we thank you, Lord. Uh, in the book of Joshua, there's so much there and we can only cover so much in a one night overview. But Lord, there's so many things there that we look and see the faithfulness of God on every page. We thank you for our Savior. Our, our, uh, for Jesus coming to die for us on the cross, that he took our place, that through faith in him and him alone we have eternal life. And that, Lord, the battles that we face, he is the captain of the Lord's host. He is the captain of our salvation, the Bible tells us, and we can follow him in faith and in certainty. I pray that you'll watch over us as we leave from here tonight and keep us safe, Lord, as we go through the week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.